the profession, the public, the people who fund this, you know, unaffordable sort of uh, healthcare system, will all eventually work out that really our only way out of chronic disease caused by lifestyle is to treat the lifestyle. Chronic diseases are on the rise. But what evidence-based lifestyle choices can we make today to reverse, reduce, or even prevent these diseases and feel supercharged? To answer this, we have the expert lifestyle medicine team. Lifestyle medicine GP, Dr. Malcolm McKay, with over 30 years experience in the medical practice, and Jenny Cameron, nutritionist, research librarian, and life coach. Subscribe for the latest tips from all different top health professionals, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is the Health Network Podcast. It's a space to connect all different health professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. It's also a podcast to empower listeners to prevent health problems. And I'm your host, Dr. Marcus. How did you become a lifestyle medicine GP, Malcolm? It actually goes back right, right back to when, um, you know, I first found, learned some truths about nutrition when I was in medical school and the, the cardiologist gave us a lecture and showed us all these gruesome slides of, you know, what happens when you have heart attacks and strokes and, you know, gangrenous legs and things like that and talked about the, the process in general of the arteries being damaged, the uh, atherosclerosis. And he talked about the, in, the inevitable process of atherosclerosis. Sure, there were risk factors, but it was like it was called inevitable. And within the same semester, another community health lecturer told us about people in some other parts of the world, like, um, uh, you know, rural Asia, rural Africa, but particularly Highland, Papua New Guinea, where it didn't matter how old people were before something else took them out. They just didn't get artery disease. They seemed to, they, 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 with little technology and education and, and medical facilities, they were able to completely prevent our number one killer disease, you know, heart disease, strokes, etc. And so I was also at that point, um, you know, 20 years old, getting back into a bit of distance running that I'd done at school. And um, so it made good sense to me to, to have good arteries so that I could pursue a, you know, a long, healthy life of physical activity and maybe improve my running. And yeah, well, it seemed to work for me. Um, within the next 12 months, um, I ran a 2.32 marathon and uh, uh -oh. won one of the very early sort of triathlons. And I think taking the running forward, um, I feel that as a 60 to 64 year old competitor, I might not be as fit and have pain-free knees, et cetera, if I'd eaten chicken and cheese and olive oil for the last um, um, 40 years. How did it become lifestyle medicine? At that stage in my life, I was interested in other healthy things, you know, interested in, um, you know, meditation. I, I, I was, as a 20-year-old, yeah, I, I was not all totally good in my lifestyle behaviours, but I certainly recognised that I needed to have adequate sleep. I tried a year or two early, you know, having late nights and things. It just didn't work for me. So I guess I was sort of already a bit into lifestyle beyond nutrition. And I guess we can fast forward a long way through my life to uh, when lifestyle medicine became a thing. 
And in, finally, in, in 2018, um, I undertook education to get a board certification in lifestyle medicine through the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. And in 2019, um, got a fellowship with the College of Lifestyle Medicine. That sort of just reminded me that all of the areas of uh, healthy lifestyle, all of the foundations or domains of lifestyle were important. But to this day, I, I still consider nutrition to be the keystone. You know, I think if people get the nutrition right, often the other domains of healthy lifestyle start to fall into place. You know, you sleep better, you have more energy, feel more like exercising. You know, your mood's a bit better, so you might feel more like socialising. Yes. and so That's a that, long answer. Yes, that's a great answer. And then so that leads to Jenny, who's involved with nutrition and life coaching, research librarian. So how did you get into all of that? Jenny? Well, I, I just want to backtrack on something Malcolm said. Uh, yeah. Fast forwarded too fast. Um, you didn't mention that you did a nutrition degree in the 1990s. Well, that's so. right. When I finished medical school, mm -hmm. uh, I, found, I found the Pritikin Pritikin, uh, uh, um, Nathan Pritikin's work, his books, um, uh, you know, after I sort of had my big epiphany of, <laughs> of dietary change for health and sports performance uh, and was right into, uh, into, into all things Pritikin. But when I finished uh, medical school, you know, a couple of years later, I sort of thought, wait a minute, I'm, I'm recommending all these things to patients and things, but, you know, I, I, but, but my knowledge of basic nutrition is patchy. I had, you know, pretty much no nutrition uh, education in medical school. So I went back to university as, uh, as an off-campus student in the old days of post and books and things and did uh, eight subjects and um, uh, completed a graduate diploma in human nutrition to sort of help fill in the gaps in my knowledge. Oh, yes, great. Education is very important. Yes, so my, my journey to nutrition is uh, in 2008 when I met Malcolm, um, I was a librarian at a university and I was in fact a librarian working with uh, um, uh, uh, faculties that taught nutrition. So I kind of thought I knew a lot about um, healthy, healthy nutrition. And uh, meeting Malcolm, you know, sort of opened my eyes to this whole food plant-based nutrition. It took me a little while to lean into it. Um, I was raising two teenage children and I would, when we met, we lived in different cities. So we commuted from Adelaide to Melbourne for uh, quite a long time. And uh, I would, when I was with Malcolm, eat the way he ate and then I'd come home and eat the way I'd always eaten. But I slowly started to make changes and uh, my, my first real aha moment was when I probably known Malcolm about eight or nine months and he showed me a chart in the China study and uh, we were actually talking about uh, breast cancer risk and I was a little bit rattled because there was breast cancer in my family and uh, and he showed me this chart and said, well, you could, you know, cut back on the dairy. And I kind of went home back to Melbourne and um, got that book out of the library that I'd ordered it for and, um, and read it. And so that really changed things for me. But as I read it, I thought, why didn't I know this? And uh, so that started me on an enormous quest, you know, for, for, for knowledge. Eventually, after a few years, I, I skipped my library job and uh, retrained in nutrition and uh, starting with a certificate in plant-based nutrition, but I eventually went back to um, university and did the graduate certificate in nutrition at Deakin University. And uh, that wasn't quite enough for me because it didn't really teach me how to 
be with people. And so I then did um, a certificate in wellness coaching and I've, I've done a few other certificates around the coaching in the last couple of years as well. So yes. that, that's my interest. Yeah. It's yeah, great having all of the knowledge of lifestyle medicine and nutrition, but then also how does the life coaching benefit the patients? Yeah, well, um, it's, you know, it's one thing to, to uh, have people that are interested in making change and we run education seminars, webinars, um, live-in immersions and also through Malcolm's work in his practice in trying to interest patients in, in making healthy changes. We see a lot of people who, who know, you know, they, they've got a pretty good idea what is the right thing to do but they still struggle with that. Um, and so my work as a wellness coach really is to help people, um, you know, to sort of make sustainable changes and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, sort of get in, on, on the right path. This is one of the, the great challenges of, of lifestyle medicine it is, you know, I mean, there are some personalities where you can just tell them what to do or give them the knowledge and it's right, okay, I'm going to do it. But for most people... The challenge is in, in actually uh, changing their, their behaviour, their habits, and particularly difficult when, when we live in a culture which is sort of going, you know, does everything the opposite way, that, that you know, you become an outlier and it's quite hard sometimes to get healthy food if you're out and about uh, or eating with other people. Um, and, and, um, and I guess this goes for, you know, like, you know, everyone says, well, we know we need to eat more fruits and vegetables. And most people say, I need to do, I need to do more exercise. Or, hey, Marcus, you need to do more exercise, the doctor's advice. But one of the things that really came out of my education in lifestyle medicine was the whole behaviour change um, concept, that whole area of science about how to actually help people, to coach people, to, mm. um, to you know, make those changes and sustain them in the long term. Yes. So if a patient was to come in to see you and then they were interested in the lifestyle medicine, they might have diabetes, um, they might have high blood pressure, taking a lot of medications, they could have anxiety, and then what would you do to support them and to like assess? Would you do like, you do like blood tests and have like a customized approach to that person? Um, yeah, I often do blood tests. Yep. I, I think, um, you know, the human body is a bit of a black box. We don't really always know what's going on on the inside. You, know, you can be healthy on the outside and pretty rotten on the inside mm. um, and sometimes even even the blood tests you know will only give you a very pixelated picture but they do give you some information and so I'll often do tests I often look at people's blood sugar control and their cholesterol level and whether there's evidence of a, of a fatty liver and of course medical tests you know if you're having gut problems I'd be silly mm. not to test them for for celiac disease, for example. Mm. Very long assessment uh, with all the different lifestyle factors. Look, yeah, I encourage people if it's an initial appointment for that sort of thing to make a longer appointment, like a half-hour one, but it really needs to be a 45-minute one. And some of my online telehealth appointments, so they often go 45 minutes to an hour. The interesting thing is that you'd think that if the doctor sort of said, look, um, I have a solution, you know, um, 
the dietary changes you can make so that you don't have to take these, you know, acne drugs at age 30 or you could easily have better health and this and that. Your blood pressure could be much better. You don't like taking the medications. We might even be able to get you off your cholesterol tablet. You'd think that in the plant-based nutrition world, people think, yeah, great, yeah. In the real world, you're sort of putting out the bait, dangling, dangling the bait for people to take you know just sort of testing their state of readiness for change you know and and often people are not at all happy to have even the most carefully presented sort of you know cases about how lifestyle how diet in particular could change um, their medical condition so I sort of you're sort of testing the waters and testing out and putting out some sort of non-shaming sort of suggestions there that they might be interested in this information yeah I think once people do express that they're interested and I do get plenty of patients now who come and see me or see me by telehealth because they've seen it if you like the whole foods plant-based nutrition lifestyle information and they're coming to see me for help and uh, I guess to start with I need to know what what they're really trying to achieve where they are in their health journey and how much they can change, you know, how much they're willing to change and, and how much they can change given their, their living situation. So I think that's sort of, a, again, lifestyle medicine principle is to sort of try and meet them where they are to a great extent, even though I'd love many of them just to go totally, you know, low salt, low fat, whole foods, plant-based and physical activity every day. You know, really in reality, we're not always getting that. And, and as Jenny pointed out, even people who are really motivated to do that, you know, often have problems with, um, you know, one or other areas of um, lifestyle. Yes, that's good. More of a, it can be a step-by-step approach for some people where it is quite a big adjustment with changing their diets. And in terms of um, reversing some of these chronic diseases, what kind of diseases can be reversed in some cases or reduced. The power of a whole foods, plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle changes to actually halt and reverse diseases. I didn't fully understand this until um, 2013 when they had the first of the international plant-based nutrition healthcare conferences in the US and Qantas had a special. And so I flew off at this conference and I've been there every, every year since with a th- up to nowadays up to a thousand other healthcare practitioners. But getting back to the question, I mean, obesity, if you think it's a disease, although it's a bit of a sort of a bit of a symptom really of what your diet and lifestyle is. Diabetes, diabetes could always be improved, even type one diabetes management, but particularly type two, and particularly if they're early in their diabetes journey or, or they've got pre-diabetes, uh, the pre-diabetes is reversible majority of the early type 2 diabetes with a high enough adherence to the dietary principles is reversible. You know, there's research showing that heart disease can be halted and reversed. There's research that looks at some autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis being quite a common one. And there's even some research with prostate cancer, you know, low to medium grade, not sort of advanced aggressive metastatic. But, you know, also got to be realistic about this you know I I do see patients who do their very best and you know their rheumatoid arthritis you know you know won't quite go fully into remission 
or, or they can't quite get off their blood pressure tablets, but it's their controls improved and they have, have less of them. Yes. Okay. And then, yeah, also my sister, she has the iron deficiency anemia. And then I was wondering, Jenny, what are your thoughts about what plant-based approach can you use for patients who are iron deficient? Because often they think that, oh, I need more red meat. I need more meat to... What can they do? Well, in the first instance, we would always, um, if someone has a, a medical diagnosis mm. that uh, in the short term supplementation is appropriate mm. um, to, to bring them up to, um, you know, sort of satisfactory levels. But beyond that, there's several factors. It's not just looking at what foods contain iron. It's let's look at what's in the diet that are no iron foods. That's the first thing. And so if they've got a lot of processed foods in, in their diet, which are nutrient depleted, then you know, that could be a significant um, cause of, of low iron. And I'm also in, in that thing, talking about things like oil and sugar, because both of those have zero iron. Yes. And the other aspect for a female is... Um, the, you know, the, the, probably they're losing a fair bit of blood every month. And what we find is people who eat a whole food plant-based diet, they often find that their, um, their, you know, their menstrual issues are quite resolved after a few months. And uh, you know, Dr. Neil Barnard has even you know, published on, on that. So, you know, getting down to the actual diet, though, is that if someone's eating, I mean, the, the whole food plant-based diet that we recommend is simply eating whole grains, legumes, vegetables and fruits, and with some nuts and seeds. And if, if that's what you're eating, breakfast, lunch and dinner and snacks in between, there's plenty of iron in the diet. There's just a couple of little tweaks that people need to be mindful of because there are... Um, foods that can inhibit iron absorption and there are foods that can enhance iron absorption and so uh, things like if someone's having you know oats for breakfast there's oats um, there's iron within those oats but there's also um, some things that can inhibit iron in, in absorption and so just to pair that with vitamin c containing vegetables or fruit will will help overcome that the other thing is tannin in tea inhibits iron absorption. Oh. So we say don't sit there having a cup of tea with your breakfast or your lunch or your dinner. You know, have it before, have it afterwards, but not at the same time. Um, dairy is an, an iron inhibitor as well. So it's, it's really just looking at these inhibitors, enhancers in, in, in that small way. But really the most important message is to tell people if they're eating a plant-based diet to make as much of what they eat whole and we're talking about you know whole grains not refined grains um, along with fruits vegetables and, and you know beans nuts and seeds great yeah i've been reading a lot about this whole food plant-based approach and then it does make a lot of sense having foods with a lot of nutrition rather than too much of things which are high calorie which would fill you up without that nutrition and like sugar and some fats and things like that. So yeah, it sounds really good. And also, how do you integrate care with um, different health professionals? Uh, not well enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a bit of a general practice silo. 
I do have many dietitians I'm confident with, but I do have a couple of dietitians in Melbourne who I can refer to. I guess in the advent of telehealth, it sort of means you can have a, there's more scope for having a practice that's somewhat multidisciplinary without you all having to be on the same side. We do have a practice nurse where um, I consult and, and she'll, she can draw up um, chronic disease management plans and uh, you know use referrals to to um, you know, a diabetes educator or, or, or uh, um, exercise physiologist or the like. And of course, you know, under the Medicare system, there's scope to refer to psychologists as well. So um, the, the, that's the long answer. And the short answer is I think that I could work, use more of a team approach. In terms of our events, and we won't advertise them too much today, you know, I live in a. We can advertise. That's fine. <laughs> our living immersion event and our, our new um, 10-week lifestyle medicine program, um, that's a bit more multidisciplinary. You know, I'll be talking as a GP. We'll probably have a cardiologist fielding some yes. questions. We've got a nutritionist. We've got our, our dietitian friend, Dr. Peter Johnston, who's who's partner in this. And we brought in um, a physical education person and some cooking, uh, someone who's very good at cooking demonstrations, and a mental health professional into that uh, into that program. Wow! Sign me up. <laughs> and I was wondering, what's the difference between nutritionist and dietitian? Well, the field of, um, I mean, just about anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. It's not a sort of protected um, profession. Um, so to be a dietitian is a lot more years of study and accreditation um, to be, uh, you know, an accredited practicing dietitian. So it's a higher level of, um, of qualification than nutritionist. But, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing stopping someone doing a very short course in nutrition and calling themselves a nutritionist. And if you're working in private practice, there is actually a nutrition body in Australia that you can register with, but it's geared towards people working um, in, uh, you know, working for other people. It's actually very hard to get registration if you're working for yourself. You're meant to do some years of, <laughs> of work with others. So, yeah. yeah, so you can be a registered nutritionist, but it's, um, it, the, you know, being a dietitian is, uh, it carries a lot more, um, certainly with medical professionals, the dietitian sort of carries more weight and uh, can be part of a chronic disease management plan, whereas a nutritionist um, isn't. So, yeah. And then also um, today with like diets, there's a whole lot of different diets. There's like some diets which are low carb or there's high fat, there's like so many different, there's Mediterranean, keto, and all these different diets. So are there any, it can be hard when people keep hearing all these different diets and then they don't know what to do. Do you have any advice for people in that boat? Yes, it is very difficult to sort out, you know, all the information that's out there for the general public. You know, in fact, I think um, most doctors who are, will suggest dietary change to you would say things like, um, hey, Marcus, Marcus, you know, you could be much healthier. 
if you just ate less whole grains, less legumes, they're both high carbohydrate foods, most, most legumes anyway, less fruit, that's high in carbohydrates, and just eat more meat and high fat dairy foods and processed plant fat, i.e. oil, and, and you'll be healthier. And it's sort of like, that sounds ridiculous. But if I just say I'm a, a, a low carb diet is much better for your diabetes, then it'll make sense if you don't sort of stop and pause and think, hang on, I'll be eating more red and processed meat and eggs and the foods that are associated with, with uh, more diabetes, and I'll be eating less of the foods that are known to be better at preventing diabetes, weight gain, and improving outcomes. Um, so, yeah, it's very confusing out there. And in Australia, we've got a, quite a strong low-carb movement, which are not usually recommending just nuts and avocados. They're, it's a, like a heavily meat-based sort of um, approach, which, of course, is inconsistent with planetary health. Mm. Um, and we find it very frustrating. And, you know, I guess you could look at different aspects of health and different sort of uh, mechanisms in the body. And you can look at the gut microbiome and there's research that clearly shows that if you do a keto-type diet, you have a terrible inflammatory gut microbiome within a few days. Mm. And, you know, if you eat high-fiber, starchy foods, you get a health-promoting microbiome. Um, the same with things like, you know, um, cholesterol and artery disease. Yeah, and, and cancer. And, I mean, there's lots of these large... Um, like cohort studies, like the Harvard studies that clearly find that, um, you know, those people, that, that when you eat more animal products versus plant foods, you have higher mortality, low-carb diets associated with greater risk of dying, that is, versus eating the equivalent amount of plant foods. And the latest thing is some data published with uh, COVID-19 uh, across the world, looking at healthcare workers who are sort of in the firing line for it, and uh, of those who, who contracted COVID, the, the health professionals with the vegan diets um, had much better health outcomes. Oh, wow. And interestingly, the, the low-carb group among them had worst outcomes than the uh, average diet sort of person. So it sort of seems that when you look at most of the mechanisms of disease and you actually start to look at some of these big studies, it points to a plant-predominant, a, um, a whole foods plant predominant diet it's sort of difficult to sort of <clears throat> talk about no animal products at all but if you look at even the mediterranean diet you know that that's really a semi-vegetarian diet it has sort of more whole grains legumes fruits and vegetables you know there might be some olive oil splashed in there and a bit of fish in there but but the biggest feature of the diet is its whole plant contents and some of those big studies you know like pretty med where they didn't get a statistically significant you know reduction in um, uh, mortality or, or in um, or in in heart events when they sort of drilled down and looked at the people in the study who had a sort of pro-vegetarian pattern they observed even better outcomes in them so it's important for people who are unsure about what diet to choose to do the research or like speak to people who know about the research it's difficult to know where i mean why should you believe me i mean i think we should always el gore's no it's not covid el gore made that statement years ago like um everyone is entitled to, to you know his or her own opinion but not their own science and you know in nutrition today it's sort of like some of the keto low carb sort of stuff it's like they've got their own science 
And I think if we're going to have a you know planet that's not excessively warmed or, or depleted of forests um, or depleted of sea life, and we're going to have this many humans here, you know, eight billion, maybe up to ten billion, then the only way forward to um, not completely demolish the environment and put ourselves into a precarious situation as humans is for us to um, eat mostly plants. Yes, good. It's good you're really looking into the future in terms of your health and also the environment. And so what is the future of health prevention and integration in in the future if someone, if they've got like lifestyle diseases and problems, how do you see them like having like the best care possible? You know, if you're having a heart attack, it's sort of a bit late at that stage. You know, I'd be rushing into a hospital mm-hmm. and getting that angio, getting that cardiac catheterization and getting the stentor procedure that's going to perhaps save your life and, and save some heart muscle, which is much less likely to happen if you do it, you know, electively when you when you're not having an acute event. I think even at that stage, uh, after they've recovered from this, um, they need to know what they can do to sort of halt the, halt the progression. Otherwise, we just end up giving them more and more drugs and procedures and just slow down their, their inevitable downward slide. But we've, um, I think in the future, um, so that's sort of secondary prevention. Primary prevention is when you try and help people to stop things happening to start with. Yeah. Um, I think that the future of medicine is that uh, many of the chronic diseases we treat, nearly all of them, uh, um, to, to at least to a, some extent, or mostly to a great extent, related to our lifestyle, particularly our nutrition. And so I think lifestyle medicine, including the, the nutrition component, is sort of the future of medical practice or a large part of medical practice. Um, there'll always be a role for drugs and procedures, but, but I think the lifestyle approach will be bigger and bigger. And hopefully the profession, the public, the people who fund this you know, unaffordable sort of uh, healthcare system will all eventually work out that really our only way out of chronic disease caused by lifestyle is to treat the lifestyle. Yes. And then I think one of the barriers sometimes to providing this holistic approach is that sometimes um, health professionals might be limited in the amount of time that they have. And then they might not have enough time to be comprehensive and look at all the lifestyle factors and try and treat the cause. And so... What do you think about this element? How can we get through this? More health professionals or even better um, to have, you know, better connection with allied health teams, yes. yeah. you know, group education programs, for example. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's part of the idea Well, you know, when we're trying to promote our new 10-week pro- lifestyle program to um, health professionals, part of the point we make there is that, you um, We'll try and provide the you know education and support behavior change um, to your patients that you know you haven't got time to sit down and 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 do this with, or or, or you might not have the the expertise. I certainly don't claim to be able to do everything a dietitian can do, and uh, you know don't ask me about what exactly what exercises um, you know a sixty year old with osteoarthritis should do i'll point you in the right direction i'll have some idea but you'll you'll need someone um, with a more um, uh, specific knowledge of that area i think i think you know the the public health is going to be a big part of this as well and that's a very difficult area 
because we're rather set in our culture and never underestimate the power of industry. And most people, when they're thinking about nutrition and the industries and the food that's the problem, are thinking about sugar and, and ultra-processed food. We're thinking about meat and dairy and chicken yeah. uh, and fish and eggs and olive oil uh, as the uh, animal products and the processed foods that are very much um, part of uh, you know, our health crisis. If we go back and have that, you know, carbs versus fats argument, we're forgetting about protein. And it really there's good evidence that anything above a fairly small amount of animal protein, um, you know, increases the mortality and heart risk and uh, um, cancer risk. Great. And then, and Jenny, do you have anything else to add about the future of health? Well, we um, we don't plan on retiring anytime soon. <laughs> we yes. just we're just passionate about trying to get the word out about um, you know the what what you know healthy lifestyle behaviours will will improve someone's life. And uh, there there are so many people in our in, even in our world, family and friends who who don't follow um, what we advocate. And uh, it's, it's how, how to get the message across that some simple lifestyle changes really will make a difference. Um, I, I'm sure at some level people know that, but when they turn up and see a cardiologist who says, you know, diet doesn't make any difference or an endocrinologist who says that, um, they sort of think, oh, well, there's, there's nothing to change. And uh, I'd, I'd really like to see a future where the evidence for whole food plant-based nutrition is more widely known amongst, you know, medical and other health professionals, you know, accepting that not everyone wants to jump fully on board, you know, themselves. It's hard for them to be advocates if, if they're not partly on board. Um, but I'd, I'd just like to see a little more awareness um, and acceptance of this as a really valid therapeutic um, treatment for you know our, our major diseases you know for example i know malcolm's talked a bit about heart disease with um type 2 diabetes the, the key is getting the message across it's actually not going low carb it's going low fat and eating high fiber plant foods that makes the difference and uh, there are across the world there's a group in the us that are doing amazing things at reversing it's actually reversing insulin resistance rather than saying re reversing the diabetes, but it usually, you know, the diabetes goes away um, in, in so many cases. So, you know, that's where we see the future. We're just going to keep plugging along with um, running our programs and uh, trying to get the message out in so, so many different directions. We haven't actually mentioned we're both involved in um, the health charity Doctors for Nutrition, and uh, and it's it's sort of you know their mission to bring to... food back into healthcare, mm. evidence based yeah. nutrition back into healthcare. Great, that sounds wonderful. And um, I'd yeah, much rather um, eat good like healthy food rather than have all these diseases and feel tired and all these medications. Yeah. Yeah, and and just to add to that, there's you know a lot of people might be reluctant or if you're a younger person you think well i'm going to change my diet and stop eating dairy so i don't get you know prostate cancer when i'm 70 it's like i'll think about that later 
um, or, or people think, well, I mean, I really, enjoy, you know, I, I used to enjoy these foods. Um, you know, does this mean I'd be deprived? But, you know, once people do the whole foods plant-based and you know, hopefully some healthy act physical activity and other aspects of lifestyle as well, often after only a few weeks of doing that, the person feels so much better. You know, they have more energy. Their mind feels clearer. Their digestion works better. That, that it sort of reframes the whole motivation from like, I don't want to get sick and die or I'm doing this for disease to I'm now doing this because it, um, because I feel so much better doing this and, and I like feeling feeling good. Yes, that sounds really good. I've actually myself been a bit of a carnivore and eaten a lot of meat. But then, yeah, I do sometimes wonder about if I'm feeling like a bit tired and not feeling as good. And yeah, I'm, I'd be really keen to try and give it a go for two weeks and see how I'm feeling. And yeah, if feeling a lot more energy, feeling much better, then definitely I'd be keen to continue. Yeah, we, we'd be very happy to help you along that track. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah, thank you so much, Jenny and Malcolm. It's been wonderful hearing from you so many great tips on how to prevent the lifestyle problems and feel happier, healthier, and more energized. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus, for having us on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and to keep up to date with the latest, follow the Health Network podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Please consider leaving us a review and share if you know someone that could benefit from this. Let's unite health professionals and prevent health problems.